Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And here we find ourselves. Season 6, Stray Cast Outdoor Cartoon Television, the glorified version of a Bass Vision talk show. And I'm your host, Pat Renwick. Hello, Bass Galaxy. Yes. Hello. Hello. Are you ready for the double whammy Chicago shuffle? We got something special uh, worked up for you tonight, Bass Galaxy. I'm pretty excited about this. I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, hey, I mean, let's get let's get right to it. Um, uh, plain and simple. Uh, let's get business out of the way and get to fun. Uh, it's fun stewing giggles dumplings as we can. Um, the uh, the Ginger Ninja is uh, is here uh, via remote. Say hello to Andrew Ellenberger, the Ginger Ninja. Hey 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 hey. Popcorn Whitaker, he's here via remote as well. Popcorn Elias, he's coming out big at the end of the show. Big announcement from Ryan. And uh, Jay Coz, he's on the chat board. He's on the chat board tonight. Uh, Jay Coz over in New Jersey, uh, our intern. And I uh, want to remind everybody that the Crestliner uh, real deal savings events happening now. Check out the MX21Crestliner.com. Um, Thank you, everyone, who's been shopping at Omnia and uh, quickly discovering that uh, OmniaFishing.com uh, is the place to uh, shop. And Yeah, that's right. There you go. Look at that. You know. You know uh, right there. And, uh, and speaking of uh, Omnia Fishing and uh, cool things, they have, uh, they have plenty of uh, slicks. You know what slicks are? Looking around. You know what slicks are? Slicks Rod Covers, Rod Slicks by Outcast Tackle. That's right. And Connor over there came up with the, uh, the uh, niftiest, as all the hip kids are saying, uh, Rod Slicks Covers in the biz right now. And, uh, and Connor at Outcast is, here's the deal. This is the cool part. Everyone needs Rod Covers. No kidding. We lose them or misplace them. Uh, they come off in the boat, whatever. Here's the deal. The Rod Slicks from Outcast uh, got that special uh, gripper on there uh, at the end, the real gripper, and the uh, Chinese uh, finger contraption uh, doohickey that it has. So uh, you're not going to lose them, but here's the deal. Connor is giving you, Bass Galaxy, uh, the opportunity to win 12 of them. Cover up your sticks tonight. Yes. Woo. That's how we bass fish and talk show. Outcast Tackle Rod Slicks, all you got to do is uh, like and share this live Facebook feed, and uh, boom, at the end of the show, we're picking a winner. Jay Cos is going to pick a winner. Like and share this live Facebook feed, and uh, we're going to pick uh, pick you a chance to win 12 of the uh, Rod Slicks from Outcast Tackle. Um, okay, here we go. I know you've been waiting. The Tin Cup Word of the Week. The Tin Cup Word of the Week is... Oh, look out. Sure or wow? Sure or wow? Okay. So whenever you hear the word sure or wow, you take a sip. Sure. Uh, and any beverage, it uh, could be whatever beverage you choose, and we ask you to please uh, drink responsibly. Moving through it right here. If you need a spot, halfaspotofficial.com. If you haven't downloaded the app on iTunes or on your Android, do it. Uh, halfaspotofficial.com. Hey, I uh, want to welcome back this year um, some people that have been with us for quite a bit, and uh, especially 
especially a huge thank you uh, to Dan Bravarni of uh, Bravarni Bates. He, Bravarni Bates is back uh, this year with us since day one. Uh, also, Bite Me Tackle. Bite Me Tackle's back this year. Brad Zellers, yeah. You know Brad over there at Bite Me. Everybody knows the Bite Me products. Check them out, BiteMeTackle.com. And Line and Lure, Bow to Stern, all that good stuff back this year. Kaboom, uh, kapow. There it is. Okay, on to business. Everybody's like, what's going on, Pat? People are texting me. What's happening here? What's happening there? What's the fuzz? What's happening? Well, this is um, what we call, uh, where I come from, a, uh, a Chicago shuffle uh, or a, uh, a double whammy. And let me explain. Um, here's, how, here's how I could best, I could best put it. So this is the sixth season of Stray Cass. And um, it's, I tell you every week, it's an honor to be able to, to bring you guys the best uh, bass fishermen on the planet. And I want to tell you something sincerely. For the past six years, I have um, not skimped. I have never phoned it in. I have given you, Bass Galaxy, the best show that I possibly could, brought you the best guests uh, from my brain. And Andrew Ellenberger uh, puts them to fruition through the airwaves here. And uh, and and Andy er, and uh, and Ryan gives you the stats and uh, and 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 we bring it to you the best we can. I'm asking you a favor tonight. I'm asking you a favor. I never ask anything. Never ask anything. But tonight, I would like to join you guys in the audience as a spectator, a viewer of Stray Cass, if you will allow me to, and. Enjoy one of my favorite fishermen of all time. Um, a little treat, uh, a little treat to me, and hopefully, um, we're gonna have some fun tonight. Uh, let's uh, let's put the power poles down, and uh, man, uh, we're gonna have some fun. Don't go anywhere. Um, I'll be in the chat board. We'll be giving away stuff in the chat room as well. Bonus prizes. All right. Power pulls down. Don't go anywhere. The fun begins momentarily. See you in a minute. See you there. I'm going there right, right now. I'm leaving. I'm going there. Yes. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. The all-new XF Series by Crestliner. Simplistic perfection with performance features built on a platform for success. The amazingly affordable XF Series by Crestliner. A brand new way to reel in bass. For more information and to find your local dealer, visit Crestliner.com. The TH Marine Hydrowave H2 KVD Edition is a surefire way to ignite a feeding frenzy. The Hydrowave utilizes a sound emitting technology that imitates bait fish and other feeding fish below the surface that preys on the competitive nature of bass and other game fish to get you 
more bites. The HydroWave is another way that TH Marine has you covered from transom to trolling motor. Welcome back. I'm your host, Pat Renwick, and uh, at this time, I couldn't be more honored or elated to bring to you the one and only, please give it up, Bass Galaxy, for the legend, Rick Klun. Yes. Hi, Rick. Hello. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm sitting here, 43 degrees, uh, looking out over a beautiful, well, it's actually dark, but I, I, I can visualize it, a beautiful Ozark Creek, so it couldn't be a whole lot better. Man, th this is amazing for us. I want you to know, and, and just so I could paint a little picture um, and preface with the phone conversation you and I had earlier today, and I said, Rick, are you kidding me? You're actually going to be outside on your balcony talking to everyone? And, and you said, what did you say to me, Rick? Well, I said, I live pretty far out in the woods, and uh, and it's uh you know how people have those little exits now everywhere, so you make sure you're social distancing. Well, I have actually on my deck a little X that I have to be sitting by to get reception. So <laughs> it kind of, that's been the only choice I have. That's outstanding. Wow. <laughs> and, and I said, man, it's going to be cold, dude. What, are, like, are you sure you want to go through that? And, uh, and you basically like laughed at me and said, I got a tournament in a couple weeks. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> that was get conditioned. A, yeah, you're getting conditioned, man. I mean, th that's amazing. No, it's all about acclimation. Yeah, yeah. And um and you are um you are quite about acclimation. <laughs> Let's say you have acclimated well um over the years, Mr. Clun, and um I I don't I mean, you obviously have to realize how big of an influence you are to pretty much every angler on the planet right now. Um, anyone can argue with that. Um, I don't care if uh, they don't even know who you are for some reason. Something they're doing in angling is, is something from you. Does, does that make sense, Rick? Do, is that a realization? Well, sadly, I, I don't realize that. Uh, I can't, and, and I can't, I'm reminded of that quite often when you do go to shows or you get a certain email or you meet some young kid and all of a sudden he starts telling you how you've influenced him as an angler, as an outdoorsman, as a conservationist. And it just hits me so hard that I, I will never meet most of the people that hopefully have been connected reconnected to the outdoors just because of me being an angler yeah and and that just think about the tremendous amount of energy that that brings with it rick think about it that like that is a tr that is just the entire bass galaxy conveying that energy to you do, do, is it is it possible to feel that as a human I think it is, especially when you're in the presence of other people that have, that, that understand. There's two types of people that come up. There's people that worship you and then there's people who respect you. The worshipers bother me because it, it, it makes me feel like they think I'm better than them and I'm not. Uh, the people who respect me do give back a very positive energy 
of mutual respect, respect, and I, I do respect, appreciate that immensely. Uh, but you know, the first time I ever felt that energy, really felt it, was in 1984 when we were at the Bassmaster Classic in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and it was the first drive-in weigh-in we ever had. Governor of Arkansas was there, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Uh, Vice President of the United States was there, George Bush. And uh, and all of a sudden, that final day, when I was taking those fish out of the live well, how loud that crowd got, the energy literally was making me all feel like I was floating inside my boat. That's and and I, for the first time, I realized what the Beatles must feel at a, yeah. at, at a concert. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that is just it's it's unfathomable to 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 me to to be able to feel that. Um, but Rick, I I kind of want to tell you real quick before we we dig into things. Um, to to me, you are an inspirer. Um, you are one of the the four anglers that has has influenced my life not only in angling, um, uh, but in life path. And, uh, and, and I mean that most uh, uh, sincerely. You have uh, made my life better by your example. And I hope that you take that how I mean it, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, thank you. And I, I think ultimately when it all comes, when you roll it all up in, into one big you know, thing toward the end, that's all you can hope is that those people you've been around in some way, small way that you've made their life better. Uh, and that, that applies to everything people do in whatever walk of life they're in. And, you know, it's, it's just so dumb. I do appreciate that. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, real quick, 1986, Rickland, I have posters of you um, in my room and Mick Jagger. Okay, I mean, dude, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're you're in you're inspiring. Okay, um, 1990. Um, I remember um trading. Um, I won't uh I won't uh whatever tell on myself, but maybe trading some things I shouldn't have traded for RC twos and RC threes. Okay, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Contra, <laughs> I traded contraband for RC twos and RC threes. Uh, <laughs> Rick and two. Yeah, I moved the shotgun one time just to get to a classic. So you you did what? Um, I had to pawn my shotgun just to get to one of the classics <laughs> wow. to have the money. I understand. <laughs> See, okay, like and in two thousand. When you just went on that streak with the Balsa B3s, I, I was making $500 a week in the year 2000, Rick, and I spent a month, a month's salary of my money on Balsa B3s in 09 in Chartreuse Blackback because of you. So thank you for that. Now, here's the, here's the, real, here's the real turn, man. Um, 2007, uh, I got your manuscripts um, from your, your, your angling course. Um, and it, it didn't at that time affect me, but it was in my brain. And in 2013, um, I had a life changing experience that allowed me to implement a lot of, um, your inspiration into my life. And, and that's enough about me, but thank you so much, Rick Lund, for, for your, your, your guidance in my life path. 
Thank you. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get on to you, Mr. Kwan. <laughs> you doing okay, man? Yeah, I still ha- I'm stuck on what you those posters you had on the wall, and I'm just amazed that you didn't have a Playboy bunny on there or something. Well, I you know I'll tell you those were in, right? no 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 those were under the bed, Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we want to get real about it. <laughs> But anyway, that's a whole other. That's the conversation you and I'll have uh, at, at, at an event this year. How's that, Rick? Uh, we can skip that. <laughs> hey, I want to talk about you and the evolution of Rick Klun, okay? And my first question to you is: Let's go to 1976 Bassmaster Classic, um, and your victory. And then we're going to also jump to 2019 and your victory on the St. John's River. And my question to you is, um, tell me about each Rick Clun. And what I mean by that is, in your stage of angling, I want to know how you were, or how you could describe your angling and describe your life in 1976, and then describe your angling and describe your life in, in 2019. You following me? Uh yeah, that's a that's a lot. Uh, it's, but uh, yeah, no, um, my life at that point was uh, probably rock bottom, uh, financially speaking. Uh, you know, I'd lost my house, and I had to move into a little hundred twenty-five dollar a month rent house on the lake that I was trying to guide on, which was Lake Conroe. And it was a young lake, and nobody knew who Rick Clun was, so I wasn't getting that much, uh, you know, that many customers. And uh, at that same time, but at the same time, I realized that when I was what most people would look at as completely failed in what I was attempting to do, and I liked myself more than I ever had in my whole life, uh, which even surprised me. Wow. Uh, because... I, you know, because I, I actually, because I had to kind of, make, when I quit Exxon Oil Company, I was working for the second largest computing center in the world. Uh, most people know that by now. I mean, they've yes. heard the story. Uh, but I, I, I left there with no real good economic plan and quit my job and started fishing. But I did lie to myself and say, okay, after three years, I learned in college, but after three years, if your business don't work, then then it, you can at least give it three years. If it doesn't work, then you can go back to something else. And I knew I could go back to assistance and computing work. Uh, but at the same time, when that three years was up, which was 1976, and I had failed, I knew I was never going back. Huh. I knew that you I was just, I, the path I was on, I would continue to be on. And so... I, but at the same time, you know, and I, and I was proud of myself for that feeling that I was really, truly following my heart. I wasn't letting some materialistic, economic, even social, situ, you know, uh, ideology affect my path. I was following my own path. And at the, but at the same time, I realized and I was realizing because I was really starting to get into the mental side of what I did that I had to take more control over my outcome. 
uh, you know, in the beginning, you know how all tournament guys are. We hope we pull in that magical cove, which nothing but five pounders are yeah. stealing in, and we wouldn't tournament. Well, after three years, I realized that doesn't happen very often. And uh, so I realized there had to be a, a more of a science to what I was doing. And that's when I really started studying the science of it more. And also I knew that the mental part of human beings controlled so much of their destiny in life. And so I really got into studying that. And they, that was at least the start of it. And that was 76, uh, you're right then, when it happened? Yeah, 1976. And that's, yeah, that's when the, the real mental and, and, and scientific part of my journey really began in the right direction. Would you call it a, and, uh, would, would you call it a calling, Rick? Could it be a calling? Uh, I wouldn't have called it that by back then. Uh, and it was really, you got to you got to divide, uh, 1976 into pre 1976 and post 1976. Okay. Pre <laughs> Pre 1976, I was desperate. I knew I had to come up with something, and that's when I went back and studied the classics. Before that, I said there has to be something going on here that I'm missing. All these classics were in October. They were always, you know, but they were in different lakes in the country, Lake Mead, Clark Hill. Uh, you know, um, uh, I forget all of them, but that those previous ones. And I'd already fished two classics in '74 and '75, and. Uh, and so then that's when I came up with the seasonal patterns that you read about later in Angler's Quest was these patterns repeat themselves no matter where you're at. Yeah. And, and I really started, in, and then when I fished the classic, it proved it to me, proved it to me big time because I won the classic the same way every classic had been won prior to that, except Kurtuxnam. And because uh, that Kurtuxnam wouldn't have been made impoundment. And so from that point on, it, it that was kind of an epiphany. That's I knew a, yeah, a I revelation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I was on the right track, and nobody else was doing that. And uh, and so then, uh, you know, and also in a show shortly after that, I was flying out to San Francisco, and I went into a bookstore waiting on my plane. And this sounds like a TV movie, but this really happened. I was looking through the bookstore, and all of a sudden, a, a book falls out of the bookshelf in, at my feet. And I reached down and picked it up, and it was Magic of Your Mind by U.S. Anderson. And I started reading it, and all the light bulbs in my brain started going off. Wow. Now, I mean, immediately understood. And uh, and from that point, that book led me to one, another, 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 and it, just, it was endless for four or five years. So that was really 76 was when everything kind of changed around. I, I, now, my style of fishing was what it was then when I won the classic and what it remained to be for 25 years after that. It was, I'm going to find two-pounders faster than anybody, and I'm going to catch more of them. And in a multi-day tournament, that, I wasn't worried about catching big fish. I just felt the limit was the key. Because back then, we had seven fish and ten fish limits. Okay. Uh, so... That was my style, was numbers. My style would have fit very well into the MLF style right now, but it's not my style anymore. I see. And 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 and, and, and you did a lot of winding. I mean, you were still a winder then. <laughs> but oh, it, yeah. I was, but, I was, uh, yeah, no, I was covering tons of water, uh, you know, reading patterns, reading conditions. Uh, and like I said, I was looking for fish that nobody else would 
would had found back then. So this is the and, part, uh, and I could get them huge concentrations. I, I that's and that's what I don't under the part I don't understand on your your two pound philosophy. How did it change from the time you went to the big fish philosophy? Did it was it did were you patterning different type fish? Were you looking for? I mean, obviously bigger schools is that an obvious answer i mean what's the what differentiated the change you're still winding you're still throwing winding baits what's the difference well usually change occurs when you when what you're doing doesn't work any longer all right and uh and a lot of us ignore that and eventually just have to get out of the game uh i didn't want to get out of the game yet and so I said, I can't ignore this. I have to evolve. I, I can see it's changing. I, I can I can weigh a two-pound limit every single day of every tournament this coming year, and I won't even be in the top 50 right. in any of them. And uh, so I really, I mean, it, that, that, that old style was now being taken over by a new style that was slowly moving into bass fishing. And, of course, the five-fish limit helped this new style. The first person that ever brought that new style in was D. Thomas out, out of California. Sure. And we, he the fished flipper. the DSS tape tournament on uh, both shows right here where I live now. And there was a foot of snow in the boats when we got up that morning. And D. Thomas won it. And it, hardly anybody was catching any fish. And D. Thomas won it flipping through sawdust. That we never heard of that. That's right. We didn't, even have, we didn't even have big jigs. We didn't even have... So everybody was putting three and four half-ounce sinkers together to try to get through the sawdust that he was flipping through. <laughs> and um, so that's when it started. But again, I was slow to take hold. My technique still continued to work, you know, for several more years. But then slowly, you know, other things happened, you know, the flippers, the, the swim bait guys, um, and, uh, and just the, the electronics started to change. So, you were fishing areas and things that you were never really fished before. And so I, I realized my technique doesn't work anymore and I don't want to quit the game. So somewhere in like the, in the two thousands, I knew I had to start changing and I started changing and I have had, and I'm getting better. I'm still not there. Right. Uh, you know, I, but I, but I probably call as many, at the top level, it's as many 30-pound plus five-fish limits now as most anybody at the top level of angling. But I've also zeroed a lot yeah. because of the, So now what I'm trying to do is balance the two together. And, and, it, and it's evident um, by your, the success of your wins in, in 16 and 19. And let's bring us now to, to your 2019 victory. So now you've, you've implemented this new philosophy of yours because the other one wasn't working. Um, and I know I skipped 16, but we're bringing it to the, to the state of Rick Clun in 2019. So uh, basically where was your life then? And what phase of your angling were you in then? Well, my life as a non-competitor was great. You know, I've always had a good sponsors, you know, I've always had great support from family uh, I live, I, I live where I want to live, you know, uh, you know, I, and, uh, but at, at the same time, but the life as a competitor was really, you know, 
challenging. And I I knew that I no competitor can go out there and keep throwing interceptions the whole game. Okay, and so you either quit that or you figure out how not to do that. And so that's what I basically did. And fortunately, it started to kind of come together uh, at the Falcon tournament uh, that Keith Combs won. Yes. And I was I was second. Yes, I had I over 105 pounds, and I caught. One day, five fish that weighed 32-something, and this next day I caught five that weighed 37-something. <laughs> and that's when, it, that's when it finally, you know, I finally say, because so much of my early deals and changing the way I was fishing, you know, was based on, in my early career, 90% of every day was spent trying to catch a limit, and only 10% was spent trying to catch the big fish, the kicker fish. Well, at Falcon... By then, I'd already started trying to do this in tournaments, and most of the time it wasn't turning out well. Well, now I'm switched. Well, 90% of my day, I'm fishing for the big ones, and I'm only giving my limit fish 10% of the day. Gotcha. And, of course, big fish are, are a lot more of a challenge than two-pounders. Everybody knows that, the fishes. But at Falcon, it finally came together, and I put together a couple of the key things I was doing wrong. And... And, and and it's not going to blow anybody's brain away because all I had to do was slow down. Because I could find areas that held fish, and I could find areas that maybe in practice I'd catch one or two big ones. So that tells you that the big fish live in that area. Now, how many, you don't know. But at least you're in an area that has big fish. But in my past, I would always blow through them, even during the, during the tournament. But at Falcon, I got in those areas, and I slowed down. And, and the first day, I did terrible, even though I knew where they were there. But uh, I only had four fish that weighed 12 pounds. And I ended up in a four-day tournament weighing over 105 pounds with the 12-pound first day. So basically, uh, you know, I caught almost 85 pounds the next three days. That's but uh, But uh, it still, and it was just slowing down. And it was slowing down, and... And staying in the area where the big fish were until that little window, oh, magical window opened that they fed. And, of course, now getting to 2016 and 19, that's exactly what I did there. I put the power pole. I'd get in the areas where I knew there were some big fish I'd found in practice. And I would put the power post down and I would fan cast every area. And then I'd move 10 yards forward, put the power post back down, and I'd fan cast every area where I thought the big fish were. And and but when you do that, you that window opens, and you understand what's causing that window open for these fish to feed. The problem is a lot of times the window opens in the old days, and I'd be running between spots, or I'd be giving up on a spot and be trying to find another one. Well, now I, I try to stay in those areas where I know there's a population of decent fish, and I really work it hard, and I rarely leave it. And, and, and then finally, like at, at 2016 and 2019, I knew what the window was, was what I was waiting on. But I sure wasn't going to be running someplace else when it opened. I was going to be on those big fish, and I was going to slow down. And we're, now in those areas, so let's say it's 100 yards long of grass beds or something like it is in uh, St. John's River, it would take me normally about 10 minutes to get through that area in the old days. Now it would take me an hour to get through it. Gotcha. So, so it's really just more of a speed deal. Slow I, down. I figured that it was a, it was a bait deal as well, but it wasn't as much of a bait deal as I thought. Now, don't get me wrong; big baits do make a difference. Sure, and we'll get into that. But but I I found it fascinating that you said 
you spend 10% of the day going for the limit. Mm-hmm. And then the other 90s on the bigs. That's I never put heard you put it exactly like that, Rick. And I think that's that's pretty cool, man. I mean, that's that's a winning philosophy. Well, <laughs> mo- most people need more than 10 percent yeah. of the day to catch a limit, <laughs> too. That's true. <laughs> that's true, man. Hey, um, Rick, we always hear you um, talk about blind spots, okay? And um. And and I guess that blind spot, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, uh, but blind spots are overlooked areas, right? They used to be. Okay. Well, well, well maybe, see, because I'm, I'm thinking about something and maybe I'm, I'm on to something. I don't know. But I learn from my own blind spots by watching and listening to other professional anglers. Um, like, for example, we had Chris Zeldane on the show, and I don't know if you guys remember, but um, Chris said that you gave him advice once, and it was regarding one of his blind spots, and you told him, Chris, I see you keep l- losing those big fish. Uh, just keep them coming. Just keep winding was the advice that you gave Zaldane. Now, he did not see that. Yet you did. Is that a blind spot too? Oh, well, it's a blind spot in your mind. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the one you were referring to earlier, I put in English Quest, was more of a physical blind spot. Uh, but yeah, they, and but that's a good point. They, they exist both, you know, in the real world and in your brain. Yeah, and 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 a physical blind spot in your definition is what? Uh. The best example I can give you, and, and the Angler's Quest was written 20 years ago, and uh, and back then uh, we, things are not like they are now in, in the fishing world. But back then, the blind spots could be, you know, when you drive down to the lake, through the lake, most anglers that when they're running their boat down the lake, their brain is going from one side to the other, looking, and they'll look over there and see some lily pads, and they'll go, good spot. They'll look over here and see nothing, bad spot. Look over there and see rocky points, good spot. Look over here and see not anything as boring stuff, nothing. Look over there and see timber. Wow, that's a good spot. And look over here and there's nothing. So a lot of that blind spots are initially just visual stuff you see running down the lake. The other thing that created blind spots were shortcuts. If you're running a long run down the lake, we're going to take the shortest cut getting up there. And, but everybody else does that. Just like with the visual stuff, everybody else's brains, or at least most fishermen's brains, interpret what is good to fish the same. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're looking at visual stuff. And, of course, now the world of depth finders has also given us another instrument to, to, to do sure. the same thing. If you look side scan and you don't see anything but a flat desert out there, that's a blind spot. I mean, that is not doesn't look good. So those are the blind spots that, that I was referring to in the English Quest, with actual things that people ignored. Gotcha. Uh, the best blind spot ever for me was the Pine Bluff Harbor in, in 1984. Yes. Uh, that was a blind spot even to the locals. I mean, the local boy that found me the first day with a camera boat, he came up to me and said, I've got to tell you something. He said, if I hadn't watched you fish, I would have swore you cheated. Wow. And, uh, and he said, because nobody's ever caught fish where you caught fish, those fish. My granddad's fished this river his whole life. My dad's fished this river his whole life. I fished this river his whole life. 
And, and of course, that fascinated me when he said that. And I said, I wonder why. And then I really started studying the area. And if you use, use that simple example that I said, driving down the lake, you look for what's good and what's bad. Nothing about it looked good. You, everybody else wanted to go to Brody Bend or Copal, where you had cypress trees and trees and logs and lily pads. And the, and the Pine Bluff Harbor just kind of got ignored. And especially where I caught them was even the worst-looking part of the whole Pine Bluff Harbor. So that's that's kind of was an example. But nowadays, with the amount of information we have on lakes, it's quality information, the amount of GPS and Google Earth we have, the amount of electronic, the kind of electronics we have, those blind spots are really don't exist as much anymore. Uh, we broke those bad habits. Let me put it that way. Okay. Okay. And and. Uh... And maybe now on to some new blind spots to better ourselves as anglers, or overcoming blind spots. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's a good point about the mental thing with the Zaldane, because, you know, at the Lake Fork, I, I lost the second day. I had 29 pounds, four ounces of that the first day. And then my third fish of the second day was a giant, another giant. You know, I had eight, nine the first day, and he was ever bit that big, and I think bigger. Of course, we all do. Mm-hmm. But... uh but anyway, he jumped and then he came up by the boat and it came up one more time. And it, and I make eye contact every time. And that fish was mine. You know, I, oh, yes. when I make eye contact and he's got all of his hooks in the mouth, that's my fish. I just yes. don't, I just don't do something stupid. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but he came off Uh-oh. and, to, and again, don't know why he came off. All of a sudden the bait just floated to the top and I, I mean, I just had steady pressure on him, and, but I called Takahiro. And Takahiro did the same thing to me that I did with Zaldane. Takahiro is so observant. He goes, you know why that fish came off, don't you? And I go, no. He said, don't you know back when, he, when it came, he watched the film. When it came out of his mouth and your bait uh, flows up, your line was caught in the, in the treble hook, the back treble hook. Oh, gotcha. He said, basically, he evidently had moved around and got your line caught in the hook. And Essentially, leveraged. I, I pulled the hook out. You fulcrumed you know, with it. The line. You pulled his tooth. I, yeah, I never noticed that. I never noticed that. So yeah, there's all there's all kinds of blind spots. Yeah, yeah, right. Wow, and and just amazing that Takahiro yeah. noticed that too. <laughs> he, he's one of your students, Rick. For those that don't know, he took the course. He was there with you, man. Right, and that's just a, yeah, that's I'll another ne- reason. I'll, I'll never forget when he came in the house and he saw my classic trophies and. <laughs> He asked me if he picked one up, and he did. I said, "Sure, talk." And he picked it up, and he and he went into this trance, and he put it over his head with his eyes closed, and just held it over his head for, you know, several seconds, and he put it down. I mean, I minute he did it, I knew what he was doing. Yeah, he was visualizing him holding the, the, the classic world championship trophy, and sure enough, the next year he did it. Love you know, it, so man. awesome. I Neat. have goosebumps, dude. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I don't care. Hey, man, time on the water makes us better anglers. Right, Rick Clun? Right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So my question to you is, what is um, something that we can do to capitalize our learning experience on the water? So in other words, everyone says time on the water is the key to being a better angler. Yet some people spend time on the water and don't become better anglers. What are they missing? What are they missing, Rick? There, 
everybody doing it for a different reason, so it's a very difficult thing to to give a you know an absolute answer to that question because some people are not out there to become the greatest fisherman ever. Some people are out there just to enjoy everything, and uh, I would so to to become a, the best fisherman you can become. That has to be your reason for being out there, okay. and uh, if not. It, that's okay. If you want to just go out and enjoy the day and enjoy the sun and, you know, uh, you know, just fish the bait you want to fish, whether they're biting it or not, but it's your favorite bait, that's okay. But if you want to become, if you want to master angling and master what you're doing, then that that's why you go, that's what you have to be aware of when you go in the water. And you got to be, even on the day, there's something, you have to be learning, you know, every minute you're out there. And you got to understand why that worked and why that didn't work. And at the end of the day, if you didn't catch a fish, you got to you, you got to you got to realize how much you learned that day. Because more often than not, we learn more on our bad days than we learn on our good days. Our sure. good days kind of cloud our cloud our view, but because uh, we think it's easy then. But it's, it's yeah. knowing that it's not easy, that you got to keep working at it and uh, studying it and. You know, it, there's the science. You have to learn the science. And it's self-awareness, and gotta, I guess. You've you got to be able to execute it. Yeah. Man, the, uh, Rick, and, and like, if you are not aware of your own angling abilities or mistakes that you make on the water, there's, I guess there's no growth. There's just none. Yeah, well, no, you know, there's not. Uh, you know, I have a son, and, and he, uh, he... Some people's minds can absorb things very, very fast, and he's kind of got one of those kind of minds. Uh, you know, one of the most – everybody can mention amazing things, amazing anglers, but one of the most amazing things about Kevin Van Dam for me and also Skeet Reese, can you guess what it is? Um, I don't know. They're smart decision-making? Well, but that's not what it is. Okay. You're right. What it is, they don't spend a lot of time on the water. Oh. Okay. And I, they, they've always been anomalies to me because, uh, you know, especially it pisses me off when I realize how often I got to be on the water to learn something, and they seem to be able to absorb it very quickly, and and then make it work. So they're smart. Uh, and so they got a different mind than I have, you know. Yeah. Okay. There it is. Yeah. They can you're, soak you're it in more instinctually, and maybe they're yeah. setting a game plan. Soaking it in. I, I, it's it's many things, and I don't have the, the a perfect answer to it. I I think they they are more. They're they're not as they're very intuitive, but they're not conscious of it. Okay. Okay, and that's the two things you have to be in fishing. You've got to be very intellectual. And know how to use that knowledge, but you have to never allow it to be your master. Your 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 intuition has to be the master. If it isn't, you're never going to be any good. Okay, and not great anyway. And so I know that they use their intuition, but it's operating at a at a you know what they call you know. Uh, I forget what it is. It's a name. It's conscious. Well, they're, they're, they're not consciously competent at the intuitive level, gotcha. but that's okay. But they, but they're still allowing it to be the master. 
And I was told that a long time ago by a friend of mine. He says, you know, you're not consciously competent. You're unconsciously competent. And so I think they're consciously competent when it comes to the intellectual knowledge. Wow. But they're not consciously competent when it comes to intuition. And uh, so they have to, for, they, my point is, they could be even greater than they are if they were. Intuition is the master. I just wrote that down. Well, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Rick, I want to talk to you um, about your tools of the trade, okay? Um, and I've watched them as a, as a fan of the sport and, and uh, as a fan of you, Rick Clint, I've watched them change over the years. And um, I just got a couple years uh, written down here. And and the first one is the is the seventy six classic and and oh let let me back up a minute I kind of would like you to tell us about the the particular rod and reel and line and bait combination you were using at the time and the reason being is the progression into the I see a difference between seventy six and two thousand nineteen not only scientifically, of course, that's, that's the obvious, but I'm talking about your kind of the way I think you looked at stuff. So in 76, you won the, you won the Gville classic. What was that? Uh, was it a honeybee in a wheat in a, in a spinner bug, right? Yeah. Spinner bait. Okay. And, and what was the rod and reel combination at that time you were throwing it on? Well, this is, almost a gigantic mistake I made. Uh, it's going to come to surface right before that classic. You know, I had to, I didn't have any money. And all my rods were old, the pistol grip, Fuji, you know, uh, fiberglass rods, and I broke them and I put new tips on them. <laughs> but it, the, like but Matt right before that, do what? Not like a buddy of ours, Matt Robertson. Yeah, he just cuts them off. Yeah, he just cuts the same thing. <laughs> but hey, I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, that's what I was doing. But, one of the first Skyline graphite rods yeah. was the first graphite I ever saw. And they sent ever contestant in the 76 Classic six brand new Skyline rods. I remember the orange the and black, right, Rick? It was like an orange and black. Yes, they were. Yeah. And, uh, and so I took them with me. And I didn't even take any of my old rods with me. And uh, and it almost cost me the Classic. Uh, and it was... Uh, but... Uh, the final day, the first day, I only weighed, that was a 10 fish limit. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Or yes. It was, yeah, 10 fish limit. And the first day, I only weighed in seven fish and weighed 12 pounds. And I lost five others, which I was totally upset because I, I wasn't used to losing fish. Uh, but just keep in your mind, I've changed equipment. And uh, and I at that point I wasn't putting that much importance into the equipment I guess, and so the next day is when I caught the giant bag, and uh, you know I, I caught those on the spinner bait and they just were swallowing it, and then I went back to my honeybee and that's what I lost all the fish on the first day, and I went back to honeybee got a limit and ended up weighing thirty something pounds that day, the third day the final day, I. I'd never had another big bite after that, so I ran back to my little fish, the honeybee fish, and it was riprap, the same riprap pretty much that uh, Hank Cherry won the Classic on last year. Wow, okay. And so uh, anyway, I was going up and down that riprap, and I was throwing the honeybee, and I would stop it. The water for that year was a little bit off color. It was at Winter Pool. That was an October tournament. 
and I'd stop it, and I'd feel him hit it, and I'd set the hook, and I lost the first three oh. or four in a row. And I'd go. I, and, and remember, I'm broke. I had to hock a shotgun to get to this class. Sure. So I wouldn't even admit it. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it. But I also remember Einstein's saying half the insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. <laughs> insanity, yeah. <laughs> and so I, the next fish, fortunately they were schooled up, so I kind of knew when my bites were coming. I threw it. I reeled it down. I stopped it. And when I felt the tap, instead of setting the hook immediately, I pushed the rod toward the fish, and then I set the hook, and I caught every fish after that. They swallowed it. So that, that that's my first learning about how sensitive graphite was. Yeah. As even as I was, the minute I felt them inhale that bait, on those fish I lost, I was setting the hook, and I was pulling it out of their mouth. And, uh, and by, but then after that, like I said, every time I felt that thump, I just pushed the, bait, the rod tip toward the fish, and I had every one of them. So that was, and I was using monofilament back then, and so, but that, but, and I pretty much everything else I was using was what I was used to using. But I, I made a, a my, my change the point rod. here is be careful of that you you know, understand your equipment, and when you develop a system that's working, don't change it. Gotcha. So, and then I I saw an evolution though. So. Okay, obviously there was a little problem with the with the skyline graphite at, at the time, and and let's go like let's jump to um, let's say the uh, the, the nineteen ninety Bassmaster Classic, and what you were that was pose right that was your pose baits that you used then yeah okay yes and what was was that the Daiwa years with the rod and reel then was that like the Daiwa Rick Clun cranking yes. rods okay tell me about those right. please. Well, there's a step in between those that after I had the experience with the, with the back end, I was getting even the, uh, the, the, uh, Skyline graphic rods were short handled rods yes. that they sent me. And I was still using short handled rods, six, six and a half foot versions. I went back to glass, but I was still using those. But then Gary, a young angler named Gary Klein came out of California and we got to be friends. And he asked me one time, he said, Rip, I want you to teach me how to fish crankbaits because he was a flipper. D. Thomas, he was a student of D. Thomas. Yes, and he, he was a flipper, and so I said, "Okay." So we went out and we and we were throwing crankbaits, and I still use some of my little short rods. And about a third of the way through the day, he picks up one of his flipping sticks, which were all custom-made glass seven-foot rods, long handle, and he ties on the crankbait. And I'm looking at him like, "What the hell does he think he's doing?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, first thing I noticed was how effortlessly, how effortlessly he could cast a crankbait further than me, you know, and it was effortlessly with, with that longer rod. And so and then we started catching a few fish, and I said, let me try that. So anyway, that's how then from that point on, I went to long handle rods because I, I had bad shoulders from high school football. And the other thing I noticed about that long handle rod, I wasn't making a cast like a baseball player. I would, my arm motion wasn't like a baseball player with that short handle rod. It was, it was a, you know how it is when you have a handle, you don't have that motion. It's a completely different motion with that long handle. Of course. And that long hand elongated my career by my shoulders at least by 10, 15 years. But anyway, that's how I ended up went to dialogue eventually because when I, w I went to look for those custom-made rods they didn't exist i ended up buying some saltwater speckled trout rods 
seven foot ones down in Houston. And that's what I used for several years until Diewall came along. Then they designed the Diewall rod off from it. And yes, at the two, at the 1990 classic, I was throwing a seven foot glass Diewall rod. Yeah. I, rem- um, I remember it well, did, man. Did I get that right? The, the crank rod ended up being Klein's flipping rod. Is that, is that what I heard? Did I get that right? You're cranking with Klein's flipping rod? Yeah, he, he was using a flipping rod. He didn't know anything about cranking. But he picked <laughs> up one flipping rods and he started tying crankbaits on. And the beauty of a child like mine, you know, and said, I'm going to wow. try this long rod. I think I can throw it further. And it was easier, and it didn't put as much strain on your shoulder. You can make 2,000 casts a day and not kill your, your shoulders. Wow. So, uh, this is awesome. So I couldn't find those. But, so I actually went to a saltwater store in Houston, and they had uh, uh, long-handled popping rods for catching speckled trout in salt water. That's amazing, man. And, and, and just so you know, another path that you have influenced me and many other anglers on is the glass rods or composite rods for, clank, for cranking. Now, I go with that theory and principle for years and years, and here you come along in 2000, and you're throwing graphite again. I, I, now you have the Bass Pro Shops. You, let's take the Beaver Lake Derb for example, that you won on the Balsa B3. Um, now, and now you're throwing a graphite seven-foot rod, right, Rick? Yeah, and uh, no, you're dead right. Uh, it, it, first of all, nobody would make the glass rods for you uh, and because they, don't call, they didn't cost their margin of profit on them wasn't a fourth of what it would be selling graphite, and it, it doesn't take any longer to make, but due to the mystique of that, technology they can charge more gotcha so uh but so nobody would make it after dial nobody would make it i actually got right mcgill to make me one for a little while but they got rid of it in a year it forced me multiple times to try to find the next best thing and so i basically started explaining to bass pro shops what i needed in a glass rod I mean, it, how could I best mimic a glass rod with these new high-tech materials? Because I, I could see where it was all headed, you know. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so, um, so anyway, they did. And Dowell did, and eventually, and then the Bass Pro did. And so, yes, that's what you were observing. You were observing this slow evolution. I will not tell you that they're still 100% better than the glass, a glass rod that's made correctly. But they're real close now if you if you get the right action. But here's where I'm confused, and please clarify for me. Now let's jump to 2019, okay? Even 2016, Rick, uh, to your win on St. John's, and you were winding uh, the trickster, which, by the way, thank, thank you for the trickster, Rick Lund. Thank you for the trickster. It's an amazing bait. Thank you. But now you threw me for a loop. Now you are using 7'6" heavy action flip sticks for everything. That's opposite of everything that, that you taught me as a kid. What, how, what happened? Why? Well, you, there's, there's something we've kind of missed in all this and that I, that earlier, the, the longer the rod gets, the more forgiving the graphite is. And you remember in the early days, I was throwing short rods, six footers, and they're not, when you went to graphite with them, they weren't as forgiving. Uh, I mean, everything about them was more sensitive and, and, you know, your reaction time was so much faster, which if you're a good angler, that wasn't always a good thing. And uh, 
So one of the things when I was going and trying to get Bass Pro and some of these other people to make a, a high-tech rod that mimicked the glass was that we kind of slowly learned that the longer we got, the better it mimicked it. Uh, and But th- but th- that's within reason, and it's, again, it depends on your style. Okay. You know, you, your style really does control that, too. You know, if you're a floor, fluorocarbon line person, you don't want to touch one of my rods. If you, cause I, you know, they, they won't hold up, but if you're a mono person, then they, my rods are perfect. Cause that's what they're designed for. Gotcha. Uh, you know, so, so it, it's again, everything's a system. If you're an angler, you need to, you need to, your system, you got to find the right rod. You got to find the right reel. You got to find the right line. You got to find the right hooks. And then you got to fight the fish the right way. That's kind of the, the key components in my system. And if, if you got, to find out which one of those work best for you. And when you get it working, don't change it. You you think you change one thing in that system and it'll it'll break down. Gotcha. It, it, man, and you said hooks, those Ichikawa hooks, Rick, that you're you're dealing with now uh and that that Kong bait. Wow. You've been busy, huh? You you've been in the science lab. Well, yeah, it's uh, the lure Business design-wise and production-wise and manufacturing-wise, in fact, it, that it's like a ping-pong ball bouncing around the world. Uh, it's really hard to maintain the quality that you you want, uh, and it and you know it's and again, uh, my my experience now in 43 years is as hard as I try to get good quality in other parts of the world, including this country, I cannot duplicate Japan. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I've, you know, I've gone back to, back then you kind of had to leave Japan because of the price, you know, but now the serious angler, which I'm one of them, uh, is buying stuff for money. I wouldn't pay for it. Uh, you know, you, there's swim baits being made in California, $200 of, you know, a piece and they sell them out in an hour. You know, so, yeah. uh, so, so going, so my mind says, Hey, go back where you've had the best success, the best quality. And so that's where the Chicago comes in with the hooks, their hooks. And like I said, are in the early days, I'd buy a hook and you'd have to take a sharpener to every one of them because you couldn't drive them in a board with a hammer. <laughs> and, but now everybody's gone the other direction. Now all these hooks are really, really sharp. But they've gone too far that way, in my experience, with most of them. And it doesn't take much to bend the point over. It doesn't take much to break the point off. And that's where the Ichikawa is superior. The, 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 the points of those things are more durable than any hook I've ever used. Mm-hmm. I can, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing square bills through rocks and everything. And, and eventually it's going to get all of those hooks. But this one has probably three times the life uh, point-wise than any other hook I've ever used that's got those razor sharp points man and uh part of the system i take it right oh definitely that's what i said right hooks uh, yeah part of the hooks, system you know, i can i can practice with unsharpened hooks and i'm losing you know several fish every day but all you have to do is sharpen them and i eliminate 95 99 of that hey rick uh man i i can't even tell you or put my mind around how much we're learning tonight. So this is a yeah. this is a grasp. Here, this is amazing. <laughs> but that. I think we would be amiss if um if we didn't have a little fun. 
before we got out of here. And um, what do you say we go on a little desert trip together, Rick? What do you think? You want to go? Okay. Let's do it. Let's Love go. the desert. Yeah, I know you do. And, uh, like, I got to tell you, I think that um, that you, for lack of a better way to put it, are a mystical person. Okay, I mean, you've been described that way, I, and I don't know if that's a good description, but we, um, on this, on this show, we, we talk about spirit animals a lot, and for example, we had Denny Brower on not too long ago, and, we, we, and he was on with Greg Hackney and Jason Christie, yeah. actually, and we asked Denny Brower what, what Jason Christie's spirit, spirit animal was, and he said a coot, Jason Christie was a coot. Rick and <laughs> yeah, sounds and he like <laughs> sounds like Danny. Yeah, yeah. And he said that um, that Greg Hackney was a lion. So I I ask you, what is your spirit animal, Rick? What are you? Oh, that's pretty easy. Uh, but let me define mystical and spirit and stuff. My like one of the lands, one of the arms, one of the astronauts that went to the moon had a quote that the only difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary is a gap of missing knowledge in between and uh, and I've all and the only thing that might make me mystical or make me what some people want to call some of these adjectives is that I'm just trying to fill in that gap of knowledge that's in between the ordinary and the extraordinary and so okay I'll go. My spirit animal, I always look at as, and it's out of appreciation that I recognize that there's a lot better fishermen out there than I'll ever be. And so my, it's, it's, it's a, I actually have two, an osprey and a loon. An osprey and a loon. Yeah, because they are incredible fishermen. The loon can go to incredible depths to catch its fish, and the osprey can just snap them off the surface in an instant, you know. And uh, and they make their lives. That fish provides their survival. That fish provides their living. That fish provides their quality of life. Well, I'm no different. The fish does the same thing for me. Yeah, that's the, is that the Perfect. promise? The promise of the loon. Well, I use the loon, yeah, in that quite a bit. That's uh, trying to use kind of like they do uh, uh, Yoda in Star Wars. Yeah. Wow. I, it all came back to me right there. I, I like that, man. Hey, you seem to have some sort of cosmic connection with swamps, rivers, and the desert. Does that seem like an accurate statement? Let me think of the first two. I know the desert does, and I understand why on that one. Um, well, swamps and rivers is basically pretty much the same. They're 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 kind of untamed wilderness. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, they even though we try to tame them, it's only temporary. Um, so, uh, and and the desert is. I've always noticed that from my first U.S. Open, I drove out through that. It's almost like if you're in. If I was in a city and I worked in Houston for seven years, my soul, my spirit seemed to be hiding inside me somewhere deeply. But the minute I'd crossed Texas border into New Mexico and I saw the wide open spaces and then the minute when I stopped at the Grand Canyon it became even more evident, my soul just expanded immediately out as hard as it could to fill that space up. And uh, 
So I, I knew that that's that, that kind of places I need to be because you shouldn't be locking your soul up deep inside you somewhere. But so yeah, those are. I know this may not be the fun you want it, but this is no, this is my experience. dude. I'm loving it. I'm so I'm so blown away, man. It's um, it, it's. I think it's. Do you consider yourself a, a spiritual person, Rick? Is that a dumb question? Like, do you? Do you have a higher power? Do is do you believe in God? Do you like what is your belief, Rick? Uh, again, my belief is very Native American. I'm not Native American, but I share most of their their respect of of the world we live in in the natural world, and they basically their statement about God or spirit or whatever it was. Uh, God was simply the spirit which moved through all things. Uh, and that's what I liked about that, that it was inclusive of all things. It wasn't, it wasn't a private club. It wasn't only a certain group were allowed to go to heaven. Uh, only a certain group had God in them or had access. Uh, the earth was very simple. It, it's the spirit that moves through all things. And, uh, so, uh, you know, and, and, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, that's not always everybody's answer that they want to hear. But I'm I'm too old to try to make up something else. No, why? I mean, why? That, uh, why would you? That's that's a very a very pure answer, and it and and that's the importance of that. The the uh, I mean, unreal that 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 actually. I don't know. I I don't know what to tell you, man. It's I think that there's. Obviously, there are things that we do not understand, um, and we're not supposed to understand. You, you know what I mean, Rick? Like, we'll never be able that's, to grasp it as humans. Uh, and that's the biggest mistake, I think, and a lot of that is we we want to understand that. We want to think we understand it, but I'm not sure our brain is capable of of fully understanding it. But now I'm going to contradict myself here, okay? The science, there's a science of quantum mechanics, and there's a science of what we see now in the study of genetics that may be contradicting that. And this science is also really given the intuition that I've talked about earlier a whole lot more importance. And the science was that in quantum mechanics, what exists in the universe exists in the microcosm, also exists in the macrocosm. In other words, and, but let's use genetics as a better understanding. Uh, genetics now, they say we can go back in time and we can find a piece of a dinosaur. Within that one piece is the total makeup. You can, it's the total information about that dinosaur. You know, it, the genetics now is amazing that one little thing contains within it the whole makeup of the human body. Well, if, one cell in the human body contains the knowledge of the total human body, and we're one cell in the universe, quantum mechanics, then contained within us is the total knowledge of the universe. The question is, how do you access it? And that's what all the scientists fight so hard by Einstein to try to understand. And that's where, to me, what little I've learned about it, that's where intuition is by far the most important. Intuition is the master. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know where it comes from. We just call it gut feeling. Okay, mm -hmm. 
but it's already there. We just all of a sudden have an epiphany. Golly, that's what I sh- that's that's the way things work. That's that's the way I feel. That's what that person's trying to, you know, if that person's right or wrong. So wow. Anyway, that's that's as far as I'm going to go. Yeah, no, no, no. That's good. My yeah. mind's blown already, man. But I got I got one more awesome. for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I got to ask you this because you wouldn't answer it for me last time I had you on the show, and and um and you and I talked about it. I know you were on here a couple years ago, and you and I talked about it before at Lake St. Clair once, and and it was about you told me about total immersion and that you knew how to win every tournament that you fished, but it wasn't fair to the people that you loved, and. I understand what you mean by that, that you, that you basically have to focus on nothing but, but the bass, right? Is that it? Is that, um, I mean. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's more complex than that. I yeah. mean, basically all your energy has to be directed in one direction. That, and, and that means, I mean, all of it. And that means any, any other thing in your life has to be set aside. In what years did you do that, Rick? Uh, pretty much 76 until I won and through until I won the uh, Redman All-American. And, and that which was, was, was that was like 88, 89, somewhere in there. And you were nothing, nothing. You were all just hopped up on Bassin. And, 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 and unidirectional and focused in that period. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Wow. And then uh, I kind of had one of those uh, epiphanies, you know, actually the day I was led the day I won the, the Redman All-American on Lake Havasu. I was, I, I was basically knew where the last fish was I needed to catch, and I was making a 30-mile run to go catch it. Caught it on the first cast. And I believe me, I can't go into all the things I was doing at that point in time. Uh, the Germans have enough done with me when it comes to visualization and all that kind of stuff, uh, <laughs> and meditation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, I was making the run back, and I, I made one cast. I caught the fish, and I, and I knew the tournament was over, even though I only had three fish. And I knew the tournament was over, and all of a sudden, it's like this voice in my head said, okay, now you understand how it all works but you can no longer use it just for honors and awards. And if I'd had brakes on that boat, I would have burnt rubber halfway up that lake stomping on them. But uh, anyway, from that point on, I had to totally start reevaluating everything that I was doing. Man, and, and, uh, and that's, that's a little historical uh, tidbit right there, man. And, and, and Rick, I, I got to tell you, hey, your, your buddy uh, – your buddy Mike Iconelli is is waiting in the uh, in the wings. By the way, he's coming on next. Huh. Old Ike, another oh, good, yeah, another inspirer. You know, he's in the green room. Yeah, <laughs> another inspirer. Hey, hey, uh, Rick, I I need some advice from you to the entire bass fishing industry at this point in bass in history. Can you give the industry some advice? Rick. Oh, that's a tough one because I don't, I think we're in a time now where the, uh, there's just so many unknowns. Um, 
I mean, the best example of that, I, w- I, I went through the oil embargo and then I went through the, ni- the 2008 uh, semi-depression due to the financial institutions falling apart. And I saw what that did to the boat companies and the engine companies, and it just pretty well destroyed them. Uh, there were a few that were somewhat recession-proof, and actually bass boats were one of them, but they they still got hurt. And uh, and so um, uh, and then this year we had the pandemic, and uh, and we I would have swore to you that the boat industry is going to get crushed again, and it went the opposite direction. Yeah. Everybody, everybody started buying boats. Uh, they, they went crazy. Uh, and so I, I'm not even going to pretend I could give that kind of advice uh, because it's so unpredictable. The only thing that, that, that I can advise people on, and maybe we did learn something in the pandemic, that people started valuing experience more than material possessions. Even though boats are material possession, it's one that they wanted to give, give their family and themselves more experiences. And, uh, and that's the one thing I know that Bass Pro and I have worked on hard together is sell the ideal of adventures, giving your family adventures, because that's what they ultimately take to them to the grave. They don't take all the presents that they got this Christmas or last Christmas or the Christmas before. They, but they do take the hunting trips and the fishing trips. Memories. And, and we, we all have to be smart when money gets short. But don't, if you're going to give up stuff, don't give up those family things of going outdoors and getting in the recreation. And you might have to stay closer to home. But, you know, to me, that's the only advice I can give them. Gotcha, man. And, and, and well said, Rick. And, and um, again, thank you so much uh, for the inspiration over the years, Mr. Klon, and thank you again for for coming on this show. Bass Galaxy, give it up one more time for the legend, Rick Klon. Yes, sir. Yes. Rick, thank you so much. One, one final statement, and I'm going to go because I'm getting cold out there on this little ass on the deck. <laughs> I know you but, are. Uh, we thank you so much. I'll uh, see you in Florida. We'll be warm. I'll see you at the first event, buddy. Well, Okay, but anyway, my final statement is just don't ever allow yourself to be an instrument of hatred. Beautiful. Bingo. Beautiful. I'll talk to you all later. Thanks, Rick Klun. Thank you. Don't ever allow yourself to be an instrument of hatred from Rick Klun. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Mr. Klun. Wow. Put the power poles down, Bass Galaxy. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. This is the mountain, and this is mountain whiskey. Unspoiled. Untamed, forever wild. There's no safety net, no way down. Up here, it's just man and the mountain and his tin cup. Tin cup whiskey. Mountain whiskey. Kapow!
I think we're doing it. Welcome back. Stray Cast, outdoor cartoon television, the glorified version of a bass fishing talk show. I'm Pat Rumwick, and I hope you enjoyed the uh, double whammy, the old uh, Chicago shuffle of, of Rick Lunn, a uh, encore presentation. So, and I want to tell you, um, thank you so much, Bass Galaxy, for allowing me to uh, to watch this show for the first time ever with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really do. And I had fun um, watching the show with you guys. So, uh, 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 like, I don't know. Let's just do this every week. And we'll just replay shows. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Popcorn Whitaker is here. Yes. We got yes. Enough for, we got enough of those for six years. I, I know. Six years worth, Ry. And uh, Andrew Ellenberger, the Ginger Ninja, is here with us as well. Tambien. Uh, also, like they say in Venezuela, and uh, Jake Haas. Jake Haas, he's uh, from Switzerland, and he joins us via satellite uh, from the swamps of Switzerland. Hi, Jake Haas. Guten Tag. Guten Schnatten, Blüten, Schnutten, Stashk. Yes. Andy, do we have any special guests uh, lined up? Talk to Andy, and he didn't say anything. No. He just didn't no. say. He just didn't talk. Andy, um, yeah, can you get that special guest? Look at your text. We yeah, uh, Swiss Jake. Yes, uh, uh, collaborate with the conjunction. We ha- uh, there's a uh, conjunction junction with the function to be functioned, on the pajamshmish. You know what I mean. So anyway, Jake, we, this was an exciting experience. I got to. Uh, experience what you do in the uh, chat board room. Yeah, yeah. So you tuned in, had uh, almost three thousand comments throughout the show. Holy shnikes! That's a lot. Right. That's a lot right. of comments. Or or five hundred. I uh, write it backwards. Three thousand five hundred. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, so yeah. let's clear something up while we're waiting for our special guest. But um, the uh, did you? There's two Chris's. Somebody won the Bravarni swim jig pack. And I might have screwed up. So I might have gave it to the wrong guy. But which one guessed Andy? One of those Chris's guessed Andy. Do we know the answer to this? I had a Chris Birch. Yeah. Chris Birch. So not Chris Chris Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Not that Chris. Not Chris Oak. Chris Birch. Okay. Chris Black Oak Mountain, Arkansas. Jim Dandy to the rescue. For those in the know. Ryan Whitaker, how you feeling, buddy? I feel good. Yeah, you got a lot going on. You, um, you, well, yeah, you do. You're a jig entrepreneur. Is that how you say it? Entrepreneur. Yes. Entrepreneur. You <laughs> have your pets spayed and entrepreneured, please. Exactly. Just like Bob Barker said. But you, you are a, you are a jig entrepreneur, right? That's a French word. Entrepreneur. And congratulations, Ryan. We talked a minute last week about it. Uh, but seriously, man, congratulations to you, Ryan, and to JP High on the uh, on the tightrope jig. Thank you, guys. And uh, yeah, dude, and all kinds of good stuff uh, going on. There's a uh, a, a uh, mockumentary out right now or coming soon. Where Ryan and tomorrow, yeah, Ryan tomorrow, Ryan and yeah. the cast of Monty Python, uh, if you remember them, uh, along yes. with JP High, they're doing a. Uh, a uh, a deal and uh, and check that out and of course if you have not tried the uh, 
you know, I call Ryan popcorn because of the jig. When I first met Ryan, um, I was like, man, that little crappie jig looks like popcorn, bud. And yeah. uh, and then they used to get mad. No, dude, that hook, that hook will stand up. That hook will, that'll do it. That'll do it. And and sure enough, it it stood up just like uh like King Kong through the forest. And it appears that, ladies and gentlemen, th- this King Kong right here, uh, it's Matthew Robertson. What the heck are you doing here, Matt? Hey, hey, Matt. Yeah. Matt, I mean, excuse me. Bassmaster Elite Series angler Matthew Robertson on him. On him. It's on him. He's a mayor. Hey, Matt. Dude, I don't know if you heard, Matt, but our buddy Popcorn uh, Leviticus Numbers, uh, uh, Ucarelli, Ucarelli, uh, that's a new name, Whitaker, is now a Bass Nation Bassmaster opens competitor ryan is yes yes finally thanks dude thank you right that you excited yeah excited nervous uh anything you could any emotion yeah it's all there don't be going out there and getting that ass whooped now no i don't know you can't be doing that. Don't be I'm the only thing. one that gets to whoop my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I do it a lot. So, yeah, I try not to do that. But Ryan, Uh-oh. I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I've been on you for years about this, and you know uh, that that it's because I give you that tough love because I want you to succeed, man. Like I appreciate I, it. Man. I see the potential in you. All kidding aside, as a great angler. Like you are, you are, and I'm not building you up because it's, you're about to face the most challenging journey of your life, as I'm sure Matthew Robertson will tell you, uh, but you are a great angler and you have to nourish that, that, uh, that potential. So with that being said, I asked Matt Robertson if he could give you um, a sound piece of advice as you go in to the 2021 Opens. Uh, what would that piece of advice be, Matt Robertson, from you to popcorn? <laughs> your mom. Say hi to your mom. Say hi to your mom for me. Who the hell said that? Play that again. Say hi to your mom for me. Oh goodness gracious, Matt. <laughs> No, uh, man, Ryan, I'm going to tell you the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, on being for real, the biggest thing, biggest advice I can give you is, uh, you know, it's going to be the biggest tournament you ever fished in your life. And whatever you do, like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but don't get emotional. Don't get nervous. Don't get emotional. Stay calm. Try, try to fish emotionless and just go fishing don't treat it as anything special look as it just going on a day's fishing trip and follow your gut no matter what your gut says if it's something if your gut tells you to go do something that you haven't even practiced dude go do it you know and and just don't get too emotional out there don't let that get in the way just go fishing dude 
don't complicate it. It's just a damn bass. Just go catch them. Intuition is your master. That's great advice, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people wrapped up in their emotions, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Even even some of the smaller tournaments I fish, uh, I get too jacked up. So, yeah, uh, that's good stuff. That is good advice, Matt. I didn't expect that, actually. Keep your... I, I know it's good advice whenever Andy actually looks at the camera. He's like... Damn, that kid ain't so damn dumb. That's a good point. You get him to look at the camera. That's a big deal. And Pat, Pat, I got it. Yeah. Pat, I got to say, with the as far as the tough love stuff goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For every time that I want to kill you. Yeah. Usually, like, 20 minutes later, I'm like, that was pretty good stuff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think you like my brother. I mean, you are, dude. I I try and tell you from what teach you from what I've learned, and I've screwed up a lot, Ryan. And when I see you screwing up, I'm like, man, that doesn't have to happen. I think I'll let him know about it and see what he does. And yeah. and uh, sometimes it's tough. <laughs> yeah the irish in me wants to wants to come over there and kick yeah. down your door and then i'm like no i should probably it's like uh, russell crowe on uh, <laughs> south park where he's like uh singing songs and moaning from and fighting around the world or some whatever he said i don't know yeah. if you ever saw the south park but uh, anyway ryan congratulations on your uh on the the jig world is your oyster of course and now um <laughs> the uh the uh deal with the uh uh, with the opens, man. Finally, yeah, Ryan. Thanks, finally, finally. So, um, yeah. Matt's yep. Matt's the mayor. Of- I gotta tell you, it takes a set of nuts to, you know. Actually, a lot of people don't realize whenever you get in the damn opens, it takes a set of nuts to get out there because then you're really putting yourself out there in front yep. of the world, and they're fixing to see what you're made of, and you're going to see what yourself is made of, you know. Um, so, yeah. Props to you, buddy. A lot of people don't realize that them opens um, is the real test of, tra- of chasing your dream, man. For real. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's definitely not like the tournaments around home where you can just uh, have a bad one and slide in home and it doesn't go on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> just post that sunrise picture and forget about it. Yeah, yeah. documented. Yeah. Documented. <laughs> oh, Everybody's no. going to see that. Yeah. Well, uh, well best of luck uh, to you, Ryan. I'm sh- and I obviously will be with you this entire journey and looking forward to, to your progress. So don't suck. In other words, don't suck. Or we're <laughs> gonna, you know, you're going to, we're going to let you know you suck right here on the air. So, you oh, know, yeah. that'll happen. <laughs> Especially if Matt myself, Robertson pops up, you I'll know, tell myself plenty too. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt's the, Matt's the king of, uh, of, of, uh, having Sucking? nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I suck again. <laughs> Hello, suck. <laughs> almost, almost zero sucking last year, man. Hey, Andy, what's your advice to Ryan going into the opens? Leave it all out there, man. Leave it all out there. Yeah, don't, don't hold back. It's not worth it. You waited this long. Don't, don't do it now. Yeah, burn up them fish, buddy. <laughs> burn up that school, bubs. You're there. You're there. Yeah. What you waited for. Oh, good stuff. So, hey, what do you say we give away some uh, some uh, outcast or, or map before? I mean, I got to ask you. I mean, you and yeah. I, uh, I, I forgive me. Uh, how ready? I know the Bass Galaxy wants to know how ready are you on a scale from one to ten 
for your first Bassmaster Elite Series Derby? Like technically ready? One to we're ten. Not there yet. Technically, we're not there yet. You're no. not there. So what are you? A two? Um. Well, technically, I'm talking about like my boat and stuff. I gotta okay. get it wrapped and throw some electronics on it, unless I take those silver bullet out there. Um, <laughs> but uh, but man, I'm gonna say I'm about a five right now. You know, I got all my rods and stuff ready. I just get in the boat and a few deals done, bud. Hey, get this, Ryan. So here comes this rookie, Matt Robertson, and Monday they already got him wine and dining at the at the Abu Garcia Berkeley plant. He's running oh, yeah. through the plant with Jordan Lee. He's like, I'll take six of these, twenty-five of these, and Jordan, get my suit from the dry cleaner. I was like, wow, Matt, the first to the first time right in there. Oh, my goodness gracious. Dude, I got to tell you, you got to put Jordan in his place. Go get my Shakespeare's, bud. You're like Rodney Dangerfield in the pro shop in Caddyshack. Yeah. Careful, Ryan. They don't let opens guys in here. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if they really do. Oh, somebody's stepping a duck. <laughs> there's rodney there's rodney so uh matt uh, so you're at a five so you got what basically a month to go yeah three three yeah yeah three yeah. three weeks and some change three weeks three weeks and some change and back on yeah. the road back on the road and you've been uh, and you got new pants and you've been running a little yeah so yeah, that's, that running shit ain't helping yet at least that's what the scale's telling me <laughs> it's how you feel matt it's know, hey, remember, dude, the, the weight room's again. that way, buddy. It's that way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In the beach, in the beach, it's that way. It's that way. Hey, uh, Jake Haas over in uh, New Jersey. Speaking of the beach, the Jersey Shore. Jake, uh, who won that Outcast Slicks rod cover? Yeah. Hey, do you keep your rod yeah. covered, Matt? Yeah. Matt, do you keep your rod covered? Brian, do you keep your rod covered? Like half the time. Half the time. What about you, yeah. Andy? You keep your rod covered? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always keep mine covered. <laughs> always. Yeah, I always do. Yeah. Yeah. I keep my uh, rod covered all the time. I'm very safe with my rod. Um, Ryan, and you said you're half. Yeah, it depends on the mood I'm in. Okay, I I got gotcha. you. If you're in a hurry or something, I get it. I get it. You know. So I'm thinking but, about but, my future. But remember, right? always keep the rod slicks handy to keep your rod covered, because you don't want to break the tip. You know, you don't want to do. You don't want to break nothing. Or uh, and and what about you, Matt? How, as far as keeping your rod covered, uh, I know you're a big fan of the Outcast uh, rod slicks. Uh, you you being with Outcast yourself. Um, I, keep, I keep my rod covered all the time. Okay, you're a hundred percent guy like me. I got gotcha. you. I, I I respect that. I respect that. I'm uh, all in. A hundred percent. Yep. I, uh, no glove, no love. That's what I say right here on <laughs> on Straightcast. Um, with uh, with that being said, <laughs> with that being said, no uh, slick, no. Yeah, no slick. There's no. <laughs> hey, uh, Jake Haas, who won the dozen rod slicks? You can cover a dozen rods with these. Jake Haas, who won? The winner is Greg Thomas. Greg Thomas. Greg Thomas. Greg Thomas, you won the Rod Slicks. You're He's the guy who won. Yeah. Listen, I, safe. 
Greg Thomas, you're not D. Thomas's son, but you still won the Rod Slicks. All right. This is the funnest night ever. Yes! Yes! <laughs> and Matt Robertson came to play. And Jake. I love it. Hey, uh, guys, uh, if you're still tuned in there, I'm sure we lost everyone by now. But uh, <laughs> hey, but uh, uh, Basque Alcate, thanks for allowing me to do this selfish show tonight and watch Straight oh, yeah, Cast. Hey, Pat, what did you think of the show? I liked the show. I might watch it yeah. again, for real. No, but I, I'm serious. I really did enjoy it. Like, I was having fun in the chat room. Like, I liked being in there and uh, messing with people. I wanted to razz people more. Everyone, you know, but uh, it was it was fun, man. Uh and seriously, it was a different chat group. Yeah, it, it, it was a what? It was it was different than normal. Oh, was it? it, it was, yeah, it was a lot. It was real fun. Oh, it's usually horrible. You're saying it's usually they're real. Usually a real bunch of dull drollyards. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. Way to go, Robertson. Uh, opens competitor Matt Robertson. I mean, elite series competitor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no but it was but here's the thing like guys seriously like i got to learn from clun again did we lose matt oh i thought he no, hung no, up no, on no, us no, I, got a call. I, I thought oh i thought we got matt who is it is it the is it the governor of kentucky nobody okay i didn't know because no, you are the mayor and i know you get calls from the governor Bueller. Bueller, anyone? Um, he's sick. <laughs> My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend. <laughs> hey, um, the but here here here's the deal, man. I learned from Clun, man. It was really cool to watch from that point of view and learn from Rick Clun. If anybody watched that again, uh, I do appreciate that. And um, the goal was for people to continue to learn from Rick Clun. I don't think anyone can ever learn enough in bass fishing. And I don't think we'll, we'll ever hear everything that Rick Clun knows. And as a bass fishing fan in the position that, that, that I, I, I am so grateful to be in, I promise to do my best bass fishing galaxy to bring everything out of Rick Clun that I can in the future, just like we do every guest that, that comes on straight casting and, and uh we got a cool show worked up for you next week uh the week after and the week after that and then we're into derb season right and then yeah. we're into filming the adventures of the proper bassin man right matt that's right boom it all goes in hey uh thank you again outcast tackle for the giveaway thanks rick clun uh thanks bass nation ryan whitaker best of luck matt robertson best of luck to you uh jay cos Thanks for uh, playing Peaky Boo with us here. Peaky Boom, Bookie Bookie Boo Boom, Mikey Goo Goo Jake, and um, and uh, Andrew Ellenberger, the Ginger Ninja. Uh, thank you always for uh, bringing my brain thoughts uh, to fr fruition through these airwaves. Uh, it is through my brain that Andy pushes buttons and brings you these things, and it's awesome. And I could not do it without Andy. So Andy, thank you. And uh, we will uh, see you all next week. Same uh, bass time, same bass channel. Stray Cast Outdoor Cartoon Television. The glorified version of a bass fishing talk show. I'm Pat Renwick. Until then, Bass Galaxy. Peace. Hello, everybody.
I'm Bill Dance. No, just kidding. This is Pat. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to StrayCast on iTunes and leave a review. Tell us what you think. Any feedback is greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening. Peace!